Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for the Moana Nui podcast. We're very excited for our guest, Orlando Jones, right here. <laughs> this guy. Hey, no, no. So is that what I'm supposed to do? On a <laughs> so, of course, kind of, I'm going to kick everything off for, okay. uh, for those that are living under a rock okay. and do not know Orlando Jones. Can you tell the audience about you and where they may know you from? Okay, well, first of all, I used to live under a rock, too. <laughs> yeah, my rock were very comfortable, but it was quite dirty. And I, I didn't like that very much. And so I moved to go do Mad TV. And after I finished doing Mad TV, I thought, I should do more of this writing and producing thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so then I went and did a bunch of movies like Drumline and Replacements and Time Machine. Yes. That kind of crazy stuff like that. And then I figured maybe I should be in Sleepy Hollow because and, 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 it was written by yeah. Washington Irving but I figured if I do Frank Irving I can put like a black face yes. on this white dude and, and it was really kind of cool so I did that for a while I ran around Sleepy Hollow and then uh, people got very emotional about this African god named Mr. Nancy mm, yes. Yes. they got very emotional about Mr. Nancy because uh, a storyteller and also a Ghanaian god and uh, those might be some of the places you may or, or may not know me from or the internet you might know me as Trollando because that's what I, I am, Trollando, because I be trolling fools. And so yeah. don't come messing with Trollando right. unless you get it for it. And it's, it's so we're clear on that. Exactly. Um, of course, it, in entertainment world for us, with the cancellation of shows like Lovecraft Country, Watchmen, and now Tom Swift, mm-hmm. what is your take on the future of Afrofuturism, Black speculative fiction, and Blacks in sci-fi on TV, streaming platforms, and movies? Wow, they see you. You hit me with a serious question <laughs> for that one, too. I think, look, I've seen a lot of diversity movements happen in Hollywood. I still think the primary problem is an infrastructure one in the sense that if you're not a member of the Screen Actors Guild or the Writers Guild or DGA, then mm-hmm. you don't have the opportunity to work on the types of shows right. that have those types of budgets that you just referenced. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Damon Lindelof, I thought, did a wonderful job on that show. And, and clearly there were other voices in those rooms that were helping him sort through some of the complexities of those issues that he was addressing. I still think that those stories are probably going to be better served by storytellers that have a more authentic relationship with that type of material. Mm-hmm. And if those people are members of the guild, then how does that actually happen? Yes, right? exactly. So I, I, I hope that what happens is there becomes a mechanism to allow that to happen because then I think we truly get diversity in storytelling because ultimately you need the storyteller to have an authentic relationship. Yes, yes. Uh, or you need the storyteller to have a voice in the room with other storytellers by which to say, not this, kind of more that, right? Mm-hmm. And in the absence of that, I think you end up with the hodgepodge of content that we often get that is sometimes satisfying but you know sometimes dissatisfying because it it isn't able to really balance uh, how to tell those stories in a way that they can bridge the gap to speak to two or three audiences at once right and i think it's critically important as storytellers that we figure out how to do yes but it's a very delicate uh, balance it's even more delicate in today's culture because identity politics has inflamed things Mm -hmm. in a particular way and our hope is that I don't expect that Hollywood's going to get it right because I don't see independent filmmakers getting it so right either. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. So I just think what we're describing is difficult, a, 
a difficult balance in storytelling that is only going to be often achieved if we bring more diverse voices into the room and allow them to be a part of the final edit. Yeah. Not just the acting part or the, yeah. they wrote a part, yeah, but it, yeah. it's, they have to be in the decision-making process from soup to nuts in yes. order to, to lead away from those pitfalls that some people fall into. I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought up good storytelling. That's a big part of our podcast. Mm-hmm. So take all the stuff aside. If you could do like a film or a TV show, mm-hmm. like what would you, what content would you want to cover? What kind of story would you It's always difficult for me to answer simply because I have so many projects going on at yeah. once and also have so many projects that are working on for other people. I don't separate them that way in my mind, really, if I'm being honest. A lot of times I find myself on a project, I get hired to do a project and I'm, yeah. sort of, I'm into it because you know, it's like except for the job. Right. But I want to give them my A game, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I certainly don't want them to think I'm taking their money and I'm thinking about my project really in the background. And, and I really don't think of it that way because I started off as a writer and I really take that process very seriously. Having said that, I, I look, I think that we are at a very particular period mm-hmm. uh, in history. And I think it is similar to past periods, but it also is very different yeah. in, in some particular way. And I believe that the process of master and apprentice is gone. And I believe that we have abandoned young people while we blame young people. I think that these are problematic aspects of our storytelling and our our narrative as storytellers. I believe that many to many communication has given me the ability to find and see trauma easily because the algorithm is a train wreck. Its job is to show you a train wreck and so you stop and go, look at that train wreck. That's crazy. Let's comment on that train wreck. Right, yeah. right? So its job is to do that, right? So I don't need you to show me a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm, I am hopeful that content finds a way to become more hopeful and that I'm not saying that we should diminish the war for human rights that is ongoing, but I also think we have to frame it in such a way that we can organize and move towards solutions rather than frame yes. it in such a way. Everything is such doom and gloom that I don't know why I would sit and want to watch eight hours of, of hell. Yeah. Right. I've already got the algorithm showing me every little snippet of hell that just happened. If there's racism anywhere, they're going to show me a clip of that character. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, there's, a, there's a check that don't get cast. And I'll show me that racist teller. I mean, my point is, I'm going to see plenty of that. I am, I want something more hopeful in my story. Mm, yeah. I don't, it can still be rageful and be hopeful, but that delicate balance of truth and entertainment, I think, is an important one. Yeah, I like to write about that or infuse that into whatever I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing as mm-hmm. an artist. I think that's what James Baldwin and Nina Simone and the artists that I grew up revering, Dick Gregory, they were always talking about the human condition as a part of their art. Yeah. So that to me is just what I try and infuse in any project I'm doing because as an artist, I'm the hunted, I'm a blackie. I just so happen to be the privileged hunted, right? Yeah. And the privileged hunted is a really different perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> but I am privileged, right? Yeah. But I'm the hunted. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yes. 
it's just you don't know what you're gonna get. It's right. gonna be like, ah, I got can't believe it's you or it's Lynn Cross. It's everybody's first right. Grab your eye and the clutch is in. The clutch, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know everyone I'm gonna get from a distance. I'm just some random black dude. I mean, once I get closer in, you be like, oh, that's oh, yeah. Oh, look at those. Oh, that's not a regular Negro. Those things look expensive. <laughs> he doesn't sound right. He doesn't in a way. He doesn't sound like two chains. Uh, he. Didn't, he didn't pull up to the scene with his ceiling missing. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, he sounds too. But it doesn't really make any sense. See, I think that's ludicrous. I'm from the deep south, right? Mm-hmm. My family does actually. There are plenty of people in my family who do sound like that. Mm-hmm. But they're not ignorant by any stretch of the imagination, right? right? Yeah. I don't apply your bias. Yeah. But yeah. I knew I was never going to start a movie sounding like mm-hmm. <laughs> Like that. Like any British actor who comes here and develops right. the sound, mm-hmm. I develop the sound. This is it. But this is not necessarily my native tone. Yes. You know, but, but. Now, of course, here at the con and several of the attendees, I don't know if you've seen on social media that of so many fans of yours emulating your character as Mr. Nancy from the show American Guy, especially your speeches that you mm-hmm. gave regarding slavery and also the conversation with the two elder gods. What has been your reaction seeing all of these fans reenacting on TikTok and other platforms your speeches from those from that show? That is otherworldly. I I don't know that I don't know. It certainly wasn't expected. Invitation is sincerest form of flattery. Right, right, right. Right. I was on Mad TV and uh, trust me, uh, not everybody feels that way. So I promised not to be that dude. It was good. What the hell? But I've been cursed out certainly several times for doing it. But no, it's just beautiful. I mean, I, I'm moved by it. To, okay. be, to be honest with you, I don't think I ever expected that would go down. And, and despite my own expectations, I don't know. It, it, there's something transformative about seeing someone else interpret your work. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, particularly the second one, the human trafficking stuff and the conversation uh, as well, it's just, it was crazy. When I saw that clip overtake the slave ship clip, yeah. I, and, and once that happened, I was like, I was flabbergasted by that. That really took me, that took me back. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also just the different cultures that, have responded that way. It's, yeah. it's not like it's or it's not. It's just black people. Or it's yeah, just but, Trinidadians yes. or Haitians. It's it's crossed a lot of uh, lines. And for me as an artist, it, it it makes me feel like my insanity is is justified. Yeah, right. It has certainly pushed me forward in that direction in many ways. And uh, I don't know. I'm grateful more than anything just to have that touch people that way. Just I'm deeply humbled and incredibly grateful. Yeah, like we talked a little bit about um, authenticity, and I think that was a big part of why that particular role was so powerful. Yes. What did you do a lot of research beforehand for the character, or was it something that that you were already familiar with and you just wanted to put your own spin on it? Yeah, I mean, I think I grew up with the Nazi. My grandma used to read me a Nazi story when I was a kid, so the stories of the Spider God were really personal. Right, because there's so much a part of my history, and I also understood how connected they were to the African diaspora, and that you know, I mean, the Middle Passage is littered with and with so many slaves coming from West Africa, 
percent or so, and so emotional. Yeah. And then that society being a matrilineal society and not a patrilineal society, mm -hmm. I just felt like there was such a tremendous legacy there. And I was women who raised me yeah. were a, a, you know, a bunch of ladies of color. That's <laughs> that's who I was standing next to <laughs> watching the bullshit go down, right? Yeah, yeah. With a very keen eye for what it was and also my worldview was deeply formed by black women telling me what I was looking for. Right. That's who I saw him as. And I really was a fan of Neil Gaiman uh, time. And I was excited to, to bring a 21st century black man's perspective to that role. Yeah. I understood what his perspective was and I got it. I understood it. I wasn't, I felt old enough. I didn't look old enough to play his Mr. Nan. And when I spoke to Brian Fuller and Michael Green, they really were effusive and they wanted to be a trickster God. And Brian and Michael as storytellers are, are the type of people who really open up the floor to you. And they really did. They were yeah. like, Hey, we handed this to you, but this is how we see it. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I see it like that too. But with these other things on uh, as a part of it, I don't yeah. think he sounds one way. I think when people pray to him, whomever he shows up to, which is the way you had it set up. Okay. So who would be praying to him? Okay, so what do they sound like? Okay, well, he has to sound like his worshipers. Right. Mm -hmm. So we can't have one sound because we don't all sound the same. Exactly. So I really wanted to put those things as a part of the character and make, you know, we had one conversation and then they gave me the script. And when I showed up to shoot it, there was nobody there except for me and 50 guys printed to be slaves. And Guillermo Navarro, a Mexican director, was directing mm -hmm. the scene. Mm -hmm. And that's what came out of it. We did four takes and that was it. And that was my Mr. Nancy. So. Wow. A, a real blessing to to have that support from uh, the creators of the cast. And, you know, it's just a beautiful moment. And I, I love that because there's actually a creator that is downstairs in our vendor area, Greg Alisi. Oh, he, yeah. He has a comic that focuses on yeah. your character, but also the son is Nana um, yeah. that he has. And he's here. He actually has you on his wish list that when they animate that, his series they want you to voice the father uh oh no i'm already doing that <laughs> you know i met greg i know the series yeah. he's the series is incredible yeah i mean i feel like he's an incredible talent and also there's a wrinkle there where i think people forget anansi is, is he's a shapeshifter yes so there's anansi there's iktomi mm -hmm. and there's grandma Spider. yeah right so he's non-binary mm -hmm. as well and greg's rendition his world really touches on those themes in a really beautiful way yeah. because he's an LGBTQ plus storyteller himself. Yeah. So part of, I think the power of his take on it is he is more authentic to the truth of what that character is, mm -hmm. particularly coming from matrilineal society. Yes. So for me, his is probably one of the purest, most incredible forms of that story that I've seen. So I'm a massive fan. Yeah. It would be my great honor to bring that one to life. And yeah. He, you know, he's gifted. Yeah. Yes. He's, that is on his goal list. Anyone watching out there, <laughs> you want to give that one that, please. Yes. <laughs> okay. Run that. Go ahead. Right, I, I know. Now. right now. Go ahead. Let's go that check. We're on. We wait on you. And now I don't, Mona, you had another question that you had. Oh yeah. Just one quick one as we wrap up. One of the things that we strive to do on our podcast is to highlight the voices of our marginalized communities. 
and we really respect you for your being unapologetic and yes. a champion for Black culture. What is your advice for those who are still finding their authentic voice and seeking to stand in their so the internet's always going to tell you what you got right and what you got wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. It has a way of doing that. And uh, I think it's a powerful tool at our disposal that can be used to help us find our voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not because I think that other people can tell you who your voice is. Right. I, I think it's not about that. I think it's about being on stage and getting an audience. Mm-hmm. When I originally began in the entertainment business, I didn't have, I had stage experience as an actor on the dramatic side, they think like home and Othello and those types of plays. And I didn't have stage experience. Often the crew was my audience and I never met the fans <laughs> and the crew didn't look nothing like fans. Yeah. Right. So I didn't, I wasn't able to have that type of relationship and Sleepy Hollow was really the first time mm-hmm. that the internet was on a stage and I was on a show that was genre focused enough that I could fangirl and truly do the stuff that I, I grew up doing when you didn't have those things. Mm-hmm. Now with platforms, particularly ones, and I point out things like Pantheon and OnlyFans and Fanbase, because they're Pantheon, they're, they're places where you can monetize yes. your creative. And I think they're extremely important. That's different than posting on Instagram, mm-hmm. different than posting on Facebook. Yeah. Right. I think as artists, we have that opportunity now and we should take it. And conforming to what Hollywood or any Bollywood Nollywood, any yeah. of the woods yeah. think you should be is less important because I think that your fans are likely in your region. Yeah. And they're likely going to respond to the specificity of the way you're able to tell the story because they respond to it too. Mm-hmm. And I think your core 10,000 are more important than a million. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. if you start with that mindset, getting to that million is a lot easier because that 10,000 will get you there. But finding that 10,000 authentic fans who really understand and support you. Yeah. I think of the most important stages for an audience's growth. I don't think you would have Prince without that 10,000 around Minneapolis mm-hmm. who were like, yeah, this kind of weird, crazy direction you're going in. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of metrosexual thing you're into. Yeah. Ain't nobody else doing that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That, that there was a community that liked the raincoat and liked Dirty Mind. And, and likes the places that he was exploring at, as an artist that got us to 1999 and Purple Rain and all those yeah. things became iconic. But without that 10,000, we don't get that. Exactly. So uh, I think it's super important for artists to understand that and for not. I, how I got here is some weird journey. I, I don't even know how it happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll close with this. At one point in my career, People like Martin Lawrence and Dave Chappelle and who were starring in comedy movies, Jamie Foxx, had spent 10, 15 years, Eddie Griffin, as comedians on stage mm-hmm. before they got to that point. Yeah. I was behind the scenes writing on a different world and Rock Live and Martin television shows, Mad TV. I was a writer who'd been crushed. I didn't have stage stand-up experience. Mm-hmm. So they were saying to themselves, I spent 15 years in the club. Why am I competing for a starring role with this dude? Where did this Negro come from? What magical box did this Negro pop out of? So my path was so entirely different than the path that everybody else had taken. But it was my path. You'll have your path. It's nothing to do with my path. You ain't me. And that path is valid. All of them are valid. Yeah. Choose one that works for you, find your way up the thing. But 
secure your core 10,000 and do the thing that makes you, because there's only one you and that's what makes you mm -hmm. special. Stop trying to be somebody else. Like, exactly. That's a waste of time. Exactly. Now, what future projects, if you're allowed to discuss, can we look forward to see you on screen or producing? Okay, so on screen now, it's, there's a, I started a film called The Pendage in a couple of weeks. I did The Marvelous Mrs. Maytouche, Winning Time, the new series on HBO. Let's see, I'll be at Gotham Comedy Club on August 24th and July 24th. I do a series called Port City Comedy Jam. Produced by my manager, Karen Tunis. We find communities and regions that really don't have stages for people to perform. Mm -hmm. She flipped a Black-owned bodega in Wilmington, North Carolina into a comedy spot. I started okay. hosting shows there during the pandemic. We have found a lot of comedians from the region. We've now taken them to Myrtle Beach and we're about to take them to New York. Mm -hmm. So come out and support dope voices, yeah. interesting voices, black female comedians, middle-aged black ladies telling jokes, <laughs> murdering, okay? <laughs> Redneck, toothless millionaires. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm truly, my girl Steg Stiff is kind of like a Mitch Hedberg, but she's an LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus comedian. Just, People who hadn't had stages or places before, yeah. finding those places and putting mm -hmm. them out. I'm sort of really proud of her producing that show and me getting a chance to host that show to push out those type of voices. I'm writing a bunch of stuff. We'll get to all that madness later. I'm online. I'm Trollando or The Orlando Jones is me. Okay. And uh, come check me out. And right now we have Blurry Console. Where you at? Yeah. You're supposed to be here. With, uh, yeah, exactly. And then hopefully Sorry. you will be here this evening Trash. because he will be performing at the comedy show at 6 p.m. That's true. Tonight yeah. at Blurcon. That's right. That's yeah. right. And I wanted to come up to me like this lady just a few minutes ago and ask me if I was a little boy from Everybody Hates Chris. I'm not the little boy from Everybody Hates Chris. We're going to talk about that during the show, too. We're going to have a whole conversation about who I'm not. Just wait. Just wait until we get there, okay? I'm not most deaf either. We, we, all we all don't look alike. We all don't look alike. Yeah, I, I've never on Grey's Anatomy, okay? And I would never. I, would, I was never in Juana, man. Do you hear me? Okay? Never. Okay? I ain't never do no movie about putting on no dress so I could uh, showcase my, my, my basketball skill by stunting on a bunch of ladies in the WNBA. I would never be in no film like that. And then how dare you sons of bitches for suggesting it. Okay, I'm done. Um, got my pressure. man. Got a lot of nerve. All right. Well, we just want to thank you so much for being generous and sitting with us here at the morning. Thanks for all you're doing in the community.